Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Ben Badler, I'm John Manuel. Man, Ben, it's about the, the busiest time of year. It's like the happiest time of year. I think I've even said that intro on many different podcasts because every time of year seems that way. But draft preview issue... Probably our most labor-intensive issue of the year, and uh, and you're, you you stuck your toe in it for the first time. So very exciting draft preview issue for us to have Ben Battler as part of it. Yeah, it was uh, you know we did when we did our hot sheet the last week. Uh, you know this week Matt Eddie's chatting, but last week when I was chatting, I you know I was doing the chat, but uh, I can't say that my chatters had our my undivided attention because I think I took a, a draft call during it uh, from an area scout at the Excellence Tournament <laughs> in Puerto awesome. Rico, and I. Uh, I talked to I think I talked to Luke Hughes at the same time on the phone uh, <laughs> during his hitting streak, and then I think I talked to uh, a, a scouting director, an international scouting director uh, from a, from a, from a major league organization as well about you know talking about July second stuff for for the international signings there. So there's obviously a lot going on this year. It's it's a busy time, but you know I think busy is fun for us around here, so it's it's good. That's the best part. It's all busy with fun stuff. So we're going to cover a lot of ground in this podcast as quickly as we can. We're going to talk a little bit about the draft. Our mock first round is up today, along with the you know the weekly prospect hot sheet. We've got those going on. We'll talk uh, Ben and I on the international side of the draft, Canada and Puerto Rico. We're going to talk a little bit about international baseball. Ben's taking over that. Going to give us a little preview of the July second signings. And then carrying on that theme and touching on the minor league, we're going to do a little Olympic preview because we both uh, went to an Olympic ba- uh, baseball press conference this week. So a lot on this podcast. Let's launch right into the draft. And let's talk about Puerto Rico first, Ben. Uh, the excellent showcase was recently. that uh, It sounds like there are some interesting prospects in Puerto Rico, but the top guy, the guy who might have gone off the draft board highest, is now damaged goods and is kind of a little bit of a wild card in this catcher, uh, Jimenez. Yeah, Antonio Jimenez is a catcher from Puerto Rico. He's a guy who, you know, entering the tournament, I think everyone thought that he was the top guy on the board. Uh, excellent catch and throw skills, athletic behind the plate, good blocking skills, quick pop time, uh, some length to the swing, but he also has some power too. Uh, but certainly the, the glove is ahead of the bat, and especially with his plus arm. Uh, now the concern is that he has a slight tear in his throwing elbow. So it sounds like, you know, will he need Tommy John surgery? Maybe not, but is that going to affect his, his defense, which is really his, his meal ticket? So it, he could, he, there's a lot of var- variance in where he could go with the draft. It's, obviously, it only takes one out of 30 teams to, to be able to pop him high. You know, anywhere from the third to fifth round is what we're hearing on him. But, uh, you know, he could be anywhere from the first to maybe even the, the third guy taken uh, from Puerto Rico right now. It sounds, uh, like, it sounds like Javier Rodriguez is now the consensus top guy out there. Sounds like there's uh, maybe he's not six foot six, but it sounds like there's a little uh, Alexis Rios in Javier Rodriguez, a right fielder with some power speed combination. Yeah, he's uh, you know every every year at this tournament, you know there's a, a big one in in July or excuse me not in July, uh, in in January as well, and a lot of guys uh, pop up then, and that's when they you know really put themselves on the map. But you know this this excellent showcase here. Uh, that this is when a lot of guys really really boost their stock in, in Puerto Rico. I think Ronaldo Navarro did that last year. 
ended up becoming a third round pick with the Diamondbacks. Great point. So this is where a lot of guys, you know, it's only you know you only play for four or five days. You know, you get twelve at bats, maybe you pitch four or five innings, but if you catch someone's eye there, you know, you show, you know, you, you throw ninety ninety one, you, you show some ability with the curveball. Uh, you have a, a a big day at the plate. Show some your good hitting mechanics like Rodriguez did and like uh, Danny Ortiz did as well. Yeah. Another pretty sweet swinging outfielder from Puerto Rico. Uh, those guys, those two, really boosted their stocks uh, in, in the last week in Puerto Rico. And that's a little bit of how Canada works as well. Mm-hmm. Really, is showcase oriented. It's it's more nationalized. You certainly can go see guys in Canada, but high school baseball doesn't work the same up there the way it works here. And the top prospects from Canada. Been really been more with their national team, and that's where they've been seen. And the biggest case of that is Brett Lowry, who does have some real helium with the 2008 draft. I think Brett Lowry is going to be a first rounder. We have him in our first round in the first round projection. I talked to two people in Canada just again today on, on Brett Lowry, and uh, they happen to be on the same ferry boat going to see Brett Lowry, which was awesome. But uh, both those guys think that. They thought that the Heat was a little bit more supplemental round, but I think when you pull back nationally and you really look at the high school hitters in this draft, you have a hard time figuring out who the fourth best high school hitter is. And it seems like the consensus after Eric Hosmer, Tim Beckham, Kyle Skipper, those are the top three premium high school position players. There's no doubt about that. They're, number, they're one, two, three on every board when you don't factor in signability. Who's four? Uh, that's the big question. Who's the fourth best high school hitter? And I think Brett Lowry is that fourth-best high school hitter on a lot of boards. I think Zach Collier out of Southern California is the fourth-best high school hitter um, on a lot of other boards. So those two guys, in my opinion, have some helium. And uh, you know, I, I really am curious as to how that's going to play uh, come draft time. Um, you're listening to the Baseball America podcast along with Ben Battler. I'm John Manuel trying to figure out some other technical things, too. But uh, the other part of the Canadian draft, I guess, is, is Puerto Rico considered a deeper class Average, kind of like Canada, there's Brett Lowry, one or two other guys, like a Lionel Morrill or Stash Washersek, and then it kind of drops off after that. What does it look like in Puerto Rico after the top? Yeah, I think there was a, there's kind of a consensus going into the, the this last week that uh, it was kind of a down year for Puerto Rico, but then some of these kids really really had some good tournaments and they really played themselves up uh, and, and really elevated their status. So uh, I, I think we'll have to wait and see how it plays out in terms of where these teams actually draft some of these players to, to determine how, how it was for Puerto Rico. Uh, but there's certainly some guys who, uh, Ryan Gonzalez, uh, right-hander, was the ace of their junior national team, uh, but he really struggled. And is that going to hurt his stock or are teams going to, you know, his velocity was a little bit down, kind of struggled, got hit around. But, you know, then again, it's only four or five innings that you they got to make these judgments off players. So, you know, you think is his velocity going to come back? Is he still going to return to that guy that he was when he was when he was the ace there when he was right. kind of that top right hander for him? Uh, so if you're betting on that, he could go a little bit higher. If not, you know he could fall down to you know later in the top ten rounds, even out of the top ten rounds. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of other guys like that who uh, just a lot a lot of variability in where these guys could go depending on you know what scouts or what scouting directors were down there to to see him at, at what point and how much how much of a track record these, these guys really have on some of these players. And that's, that's the big question. I mean, how much do people, uh, how much do people get to see these guys? So that's, uh, that's a big part of who goes where. Does a guy get cross-checked, all those kind of things. Uh, I'll factor into where guys get drafted. Uh, and, and that's, I think, veteran Baseball America listeners realize that a little bit. So 
It's the Baseball America podcast. He's Ben. I'm John. And I wanted to cover a lot of ground on this podcast, Ben. We've already failed to mention one earth-shattering event that happened yesterday regarding the draft. Tanner Shepard's mm-hmm. with his uh, shoulder problem. It's a fracture, apparently a stress fracture in the shoulder. Only minor league pitcher, only prospect I can remember with a stress fracture injury in the throwing arm. I remember Bobby Jenks having a stress fracture in his elbow, and he was still an angel. That was one of the things that led to his release. There are a lot of other things that led to his release. Um, I think the biggest part was that he was considered a jerk. But uh, he was not dependable. Um, his makeup was a major, major question. But um, that, that was one reason he got released. I think there was some questions about the stress fracture. He's been healthy since then. But Tanner Shepard with his stress fracture in his shoulder and uh, how that affects the draft. We were talking about who's the best fourth-best high school hitter with Brett Lowry. There's a big question on who's the sixth best college starting pitcher. There was a defined group of five going in. The top two for sure, Madison Crow. And you had Shepers and Hunt and Friedrich as this next group. Mm-hmm. Christian Friedrich, Shooter Hunt, Tanner Shepers. Now you, Tanner Shepers might be out of that equation. I personally think that even though he has this shoulder fracture, he might stay in that equation because there's such a big gap between those top five guys and the rest of the college starter crew. I think if people think it's just structural like that, like a bone issue and not a labrum tear, not any soft tissue, I think you still might see Tanner Shepard's go pretty good. Um, but that's a big wild card into the draft. I think some of the Puerto Rican players you talked about could be a little bit of wild cards depending on how they got evaluated, how they got cross-checked, who saw them on the right day. And the same thing with Brett Lowry, who with the junior national team with Canada, with his club team, the Langley Blaze, went down to uh, Arizona, had hits off uh, – uh, doubles off of Luke Cochaver and Kyle Davies in an extended spring rehab game for those guys. And then in Florida, I guess, extended spring training teams just was dominant in a tour through Florida. So that's what we're talking about. It depends on who sees you. Uh, speaking of it depends on who sees you, who uh, doesn't see you. I-, I meant to read this email to podcast at baseballamerica.com. I meant to read it on the college podcast because I made a public enemy reference in the pod- college podcast a week and a half ago. And I saw people would enjoy this from Scott Martineau, uh, who emailed about how back in the day he was DJing at uh, Luther Campbell's club at the, while he went to the U, while he attended the U. Uh, Scott later uh, shared that he also uh, could burn the, the Che Che by the rails, one of my favorite songs from the summer of 91 when I lived in Miami, uh, on a CD for me if I wanted to. But uh, he sent in the entire lyrics to uh, You're Going to Get Yours, the public enemy hit that I was uh, quoting. But then he actually sent uh, a draft guru question about where he thought University of Miami Hurricanes were going to go. Guys like Jamile Weeks, uh, you know, Yonder Alonzo, Blake T. Cody, uh, Dennis Rabin. So I wanted to answer that at least for, uh, for Scott. Uh, Scott, there's a chance that Miami's going to have three players picked in the first 45. I do think Jamile Weeks and Dennis Rabin there – uh, the draft stock has fallen somewhat uh, this year. Jamile Weeks, you hear less about the athleticism and more about how he's a little bit stiffer and not as fluid as you would think someone who's athletic would be. Uh, I think he might have lost a step with his pulled hamstring, his hamstring problem he had last year's tear, I think it was. Uh, Dennis Rabin's had some back issues. But Yonder Alonso's had a great year. He just had a grand slam against North Carolina in the opener of that series off Alex White, premium velocity, premium 2009 draft pick. So I think Yonder Alonso is going to go, and he's going to go high. And our latest mock draft projection, we have him going ninth to the Nationals. 
But uh, Jamile Weeks and Dennis Raven were not in our first round. I think those guys are more supplemental to second-round guys. Um, I think the guy on Miami with real draft helium was the closer, Carlos Gutierrez, who's got uh, real good live uh, sinking fastball and a slider that also stays down in the zone consistently. I think Gutierrez is going to go good, despite the fact that he's had some uh, Tommy John issues in the past. and He's had some medical problems, but uh, he's been healthy this year. He's been very durable, and uh, he's been quite good. So he's kind of in the latest in that Miami uh, line of closers, which includes Jay Tessmer had a nice minor league career. Danny Graves were the best uh, big league career of these past University of Miami Hurricane closers. Then, of course, uh, Ben, as we did every week, Joe LaCate's emails. He's a sucker for tooled-up shortstops. After Tim Beckham, are there any five-tool shortstops who can make an impact at the next level? He also wants to know about Casey Kelly. Um, I would say that uh, Matt Blood's article really did kind of give you a little bit more about Kelly. The main point is that Casey Kelly's got first-round talent as both a hitter and a pitcher. I think it's not a consensus on which one. I do think more people like him as a shortstop. Uh, than like him on the mound, and I think he is kind of a all-around uh, five-tool kind of guy, but almost more like in the Aaron Hill five average tools as opposed to the sixes and sevens. Uh, but the guy, Ben, I'm not sure if you read uh, some of Aaron's report on this guy, but Anthony Hewitt, or maybe mm-hmm. Nathan, Nathan actually. Wrote, yeah, wrote Nathan the wrote the whole that. feature on Anthony Hewitt from up up your way up in Connecticut, and Anthony Hewitt sounds pretty interesting. I mean, he sounds like... Mm-hmm. He's the best athlete in the draft. I'm pretty sure we put him as the number one athlete on the high school side. And maybe from what you remember that story, you could crib the what's the Cliff Notes version of Anthony Hewitt and uh, and why he's uh, intriguing and why if he's the best athlete in the draft, he's not the uh, going to be in the first five picks. Yeah, I guess like a little snapshot of him would just be super superb athlete, like you said, John. A lot of tools, a lot of raw tools though, and the emphasis is on raw. Yeah, you know, I think there's there's a team that. You know, again, like we said, it depends on what day you see him, yeah. uh, who sees him on, on what day, and 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 it, like again, it only takes one team to, to take that guy. But it sounds like the bat still lacks uh, significant polish right now. He's Ben. I'm John. It's the Baseball America podcast. Thanks again to both Scott and to Joe for those email questions. We love getting email questions at podcast at baseballamerica.com. So send those in. We're going to go ahead and wrap up, wrap up the podcast, though, a little bit. Uh, we'll give you a little tease of July 2nd, I think, here, Ben. A good way to end because uh, we did write about the top guy when Chris Klein was at the Caribbean Series, and now Michael Anoa getting a little bit more uh, say. So I think Chris wrote about him, teased him a little bit as he was already emerging in February as the top guy. And I just think it tells you how much a bigger deal the international scene is getting when national writers like Jason Stark are writing about Michael Anoa on ESPN.com, you've got a little Michael Anoa dope and maybe a little trend that we're seeing in the international signing period, even though that signing period doesn't really even start till July. Yeah, and Noah, six 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 seven right-hander. Uh, rumors, you know, he, he was always the guy like like Chris wrote about back then that he was going to be the top guy. So it's, it's as impressive that he still is the number one guy right now. Uh, good fastball. He's already throwing, you know, 93, 94 even. So at, at age 16, with that kind of size, with that kind of projection, he's, he's a consensus number one guy. I don't think there's very many teams that don't think he's the number one guy. And there's been, you know, international scouting directors, scouting directors, general managers down there uh, going to evaluate this kid. And he, it sounds like the, the rumors that I'm hearing, anywhere from, you know, started at $2 million, Climbed up to two point five million. The highest I've heard that's that's a reliable uh, number is three million. 
I think there's obviously going to be, you know, scouting directors out there who are going to, or agents or whoever, people who are going to throw out bigger numbers and larger numbers to try to drive up the price and to try to drive up the market for that. But uh, I, I, that's not, I, the highest that I've heard so far is, is possibly $3 million. And that's a lot of money to be given to a 16-year-old pitcher. Yeah, one who's already six, 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 seven. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these maxed out, but I mean, how big is it going to be too big for Michael Anoa? I mean, it's a lot to invest a lot of money in an American kid who's eighteen mm-hmm. or twenty-one out of college who's that big. It's uh, that those those are big numbers. But uh, we also, you know, I, I hope I'm not. I don't think I'm springing this on you. But then, why don't we go ahead and once and for all? I think we could do this in a podcast a little bit more than in a story. But we're gonna you're gonna write something. It sounds like pretty soon on Edward Salcedo. This has been the name for the last nine, ten months. We get so much email. Jim Kaus gets a question every week at ESPN.com. I've talked to a couple guys about Salcedo. You've talked to a lot of people about Salcedo. I think it's safe to say that the rumors that he had signed for $3 million or close to that with the Cleveland Indians a couple months ago had a lot of truth to them. There was a deal that was almost done, but that deal is gone, and Edward Salcedo is no longer considered a big-time prospect because he is not, as far as the information in the, in, in, in the industry, is that he's no longer considered 16 or 17 years old. That is the uh, that is kind of the rumor out there right now. Um, we're still looking into it right now. As we obviously reported earlier, a lot of conjecture that he wasn't 16. And obviously right now he's not signed. Uh, I think there was a lot of truth to the Indians offering him the $2.9 million contract. Uh, but it sounds like the more they look into it, uh, the less reliable some of his documents uh, may have been. Uh, and that's something that, that we're still looking into uh, to, at Baseball America to try to figure out you know, what's, what's the truth here, what's not. But obviously all this time has gone by. Salcedo is still not a member of anyone's organization. Exactly. And it doesn't sound like anyone is really pursuing him at all uh, to try to sign him. So there all, There's all these other rumors and foo-for-all and, and uh, other stuff mm-hmm. that's floating around. That's interesting. It's kind of fun to talk to. That's the stuff scouts like to gossip about. But the facts, I think, are what you just pointed out. He didn't sign with the Indians. He, officially, he didn't sign. He's not going to sign. And it doesn't sound like any other clubs are pursuing him. And that's the big key. So to me, that story's basically over, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, all but done, right? Yeah, and then obviously with the investigators getting fired who worked on his case, MLB right. offices saying it didn't have anything to do with it, uh, with Salcedo, it didn't have anything to do with the Salcedo case. Uh, obviously, you know, there's rumors flying around uh, whether that's true or not, obviously we don't know uh, for a fact what's true there. Or else we would have written it by now. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we don't want to, you know, throw out rumors out there that we don't know are, are true. Uh, yeah. But this is, you know, what we're, what we're hearing from, from several sources that uh, he, he's just not a, a major player right now anymore for, for international sky directors right now. And I think it's really just kind of putting two and two together. The most obvious reason why a guy would be a player and then not be a guy is he wasn't 16. You know, that's, uh, yeah, and I don't, but, but we don't have that on enough authority to, you know, well, I think, I think the facts speak for themselves that he wasn't, he was a guy and now he's not a guy. So I, I think you could put two and two together and uh, that, that myth has been out there, really. It is, an, he is almost like a mythical figure. Uh, we've had enough fun at his, uh, at the expense of his high five page. Um, that, that's been fun to watch. But it sounds like Michael Lanoa is the new flavor, and there are other guys out there. And I think the main point that we also are getting out of this, Ben, is that 
there are more clubs getting involved in Latin America than there have been usual. It's not just the usual suspects, your Mariners, Yankees, or, or big money club like the Red Sox or the Mets. A lot of other clubs are getting involved, not just on I know about other players, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mariners are already linked to a couple of guys for, for over a million dollars from what we're hearing. Uh, the Yankees as well. I don't think that should really shock anybody that you're hearing those two names. Obviously, right. the Braves, the Red Sox, the Mets. But, you know, at the same time, it sounds like there's some, some smaller market teams who are trying to get in on the action as well. And I think that's, that's encouraging because, you know, it, when, you, when you look at the, the track record of some of these guys who signed high, you know, it's, it's not a great track record, but you do end up with some guys who, who turn, it, turn it to be stars. So I think, uh, exactly. And then you have a uh, – but then, you know, you have the Cleveland Indians uh, who yeah. picked up a lot of guys, Fausto Carmona for, for $12,000, Johnny, Johnny Peralta. Peralta, you know. They, Victor Martinez. Exactly. So that's, you know, that's good. You can – I think it's a, it's a good strategy but to do that, but, you know, why not why not do both if you can? Right. Well, you know, big- just kind of – you know, kind of shop at shop at Costco and buy wholesale for <laughs> for some of these cheaper players. But then you know, go for your kind of finer item luxury goods at the at the higher end as well. You can you can do both, and you can be successful doing both. I think. I think that's the right approach is to just be as aggressive as you can down there. But that doesn't mean just throwing money down the toilet. It means signing as many players as you can and having a lot of scouts on the ground and and working hard at it. Like teams are rewarded working hard in the draft. You can be rewarded working hard internationally. I think the, the other part of that is uh, you talked about some of the, the big money guys. You do, you have your Miguel Cabrera, you have your Felix Hernandez, you got $700,000. For every one of those guys, you have the highest signing bonus out of Latin America that I can recall. Uh, well, one of the highest ones is, is Joel Guzman. Then you get $2.25 million. I think that's the highest bonus. Uh, Joel Guzman has been a big leaguer, but I would say the return on that investment has not been what the Dodgers were hoping for. And the biggest pitcher bonus is Ricardo Arambales. More than $1.5 million. I believe it was the Marlins that signed him. If it wasn't the Marlins, it was the Yankees. And that has not worked out. He had a couple Tommy John surgeries, been traded a couple times, was in the red system. So it, it, you got to spend money down there, but it doesn't, doesn't always translate into prospects. So um, sometimes it does. You can't be afraid of it. Um, if you're going to throw away $500,000 on a college middle reliever in the second or third round, you may as well uh, – invest that money in a 16-year-old Latin American player, too. So uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. He's Ben. I'm John. I think we're going to wrap with that, Ben, but we do have – I think we're going to do a little mock – we have our mock draft online today. We have our prospect hot sheet, which is one of the, our most popular features. I think we are going to do – in a, amongst – so if you're an international guy, look out for Ben and I breaking down Puerto Rico and Canada for the draft one. I think we are going to have some international flavor coming up soon setting the scene for July 2nd, in with our draft coverage. So look for that. And I think Ben and I, again, are going to look toward the Olympics a little bit, too, coming up here. We both were at a press conference this week with David Johnson and Bob Watson. It'll be fun for us locally here to have Team USA come play Team Canada before they both go to China. It was fun talking to Bob Watson and David Johnson. Just anyway, David Johnson, I would say, uh, was the leader in one-liners in that press conference, would you say? I think so. Uh, the other interesting thing, too, that, that Bob Watson mentioned was that, you know, obviously, you know, they can't use the major leaguers. they got to take guys off the 25-man roster. So, you know, you think, you know, mostly minor leaguers, right. guys in double-A, triple-A, uh, maybe high-A, you don't know. But they, he also mentioned the possibility of taking a guy who was a college reliever. Absolutely. You know, he said there were some college relievers thrown in the high 90s. Then it didn't say any specific names, but... Obviously, for our Baseball America readers, I think it might be kind of obvious who, who that might be. Yeah, I think Steven Strasburg, coming off his uh, second loss of the year last night by Cal State Fullerton, 
as a guy who's already had about 90 innings for the season. He was already going to be used as a reliever for Team USA of a college national team. I think what you might see is Steven Strasburg pitching relief for Team USA College National Club, and then when that's over in late July, early August, transition over to the pro club and see if he can make that team's bullpen. I don't think he's going to have a cinch spot. If he pitches well for the college national team in a relief role, which he handled last year, I think you will see Steven Strasburg in that Team USA bullpen, and that would be really exciting. And uh, He'd be easier to root for than Christian Leitner was in 92 on the Dream Team. Never understood why that was Leitner and not Shaq. Uh, it's just stuck in my craw for 16 years. Should have been Shaq on the 92 Olympic team. Well, it's, it's good we, that we got it out now. I'm, I think. I'm glad we got out, of this, got out of our system. So, For Ben Badler, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for listening to the Baseball America podcast. Until next week, so long, everybody. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.